Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you on this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Kurt Barwis, President and CEO of Bristol Health. Good morning to you, sir. Morning, Aaron, and uh, good morning to all the WTIC listeners. Well, the Medicare open enrollment deadline is Tuesday, so time is running out. If you haven't selected an Advantage plan and want to select one, and Kurt has been on to talk about this before, but this year... He's shopping. So, Kurt, tell us uh, how has it been? So it's it's interesting, you know, shopping. I I um I have another year before I actually qualify, but um you know I wanted to see myself what it was like. Uh, you know, I, I turned sixty three in May and and I've got some time, but um it's a daunting task. It's it's absolutely it's complex. I uh, I put in my zip code today and um looked at all the plans in my area. Uh, put in my primary care physician and and Aaron, I, I I I can appreciate how complex it is for for seniors to find the right Medicare plan. All right, and let's back up a little. For Medicare, you you have the the core program, and if you want, you can select an Advantage plan. Correct. That is that is correct. I mean the the core Medicare plan, um, you know, Part A and B is it's still there. It's still a viable option for people. People tend to pick Medicare Advantage because it, it often gives you more benefits, lower cost in exchange for a managed plan. So uh, when you go into a Medicare Advantage plan, you, you have a primary care physician and you have authorizations for services. So they are managing your care and the services that you get. And, um, and hopefully for the plan, they're reducing costs by doing that. Whereas with the traditional Medicare plan, you can, you can pick any of your physicians and specialists and, and the approval process is, is uh, much easier and different. Um, and so that, that's the, the big significant differences. Medicare Advantage can include drugs, uh, which you'd have to get a, a Part D uh, prescription plan on, but it could be incorporated into the cost. It could include uh, vision, dental, and all these different options. Um, what I thought was interesting this morning when I was looking at plans was it asked me for what medications I was on. And so when you go to the Medicare um, Advantage.com website to, to find plans, 
basically, they're asking you a bunch of questions. Who's your primary care physician? What medications you want? And they're trying to match you up with a plan that gives you the lowest cost based on what prescriptions you have. So, uh, and I've heard from, from many individuals that, uh, in fact, the, one of the biggest advantages that they see is that their monthly spend on the Medicare Advantage plan was much less than traditional Medicare. But again, it's a trade-off. Um, so, uh, you know, if all of a sudden the physician that your primary care physician is no longer in network, um, you're going to have to find a new primary care physician. So, um, so that trade-off is real and access to services is by author, prior authorization. And they can take uh, up to 17, 14 to 70 days to authorize a service that you may feel you need sooner and your doctor may feel you, you need sooner. Some of these plans are, are marketed heavily when it comes to what they offer, but I, I suppose it's important to, to take a look at what they may not offer compared to traditional Medicare. Yeah, so again, it, it really comes down to when you need healthcare, when you need the services. Um, with a traditional Medicare plan, things happen and flow very naturally. With a Medicare Advantage plan, let's say, for example, you uh, come into the emergency room with an episode of, of illness on a Friday afternoon or a Friday evening, and you need to be admitted to um, uh, acute rehab or a skilled nursing facility. That requires an authorization, and that authorization, and you, you're not going to be moved to a nursing home for the needed care that you have in terms of rehabilitation, whatever it is, until the nursing home gets that authorization. So you, you mentioned, Aaron, that they have uh, extensive marketing plans. Um, I think everywhere I look uh, on TV and radio, all I see and hear is Medicare Advantage plan advertisements. But what's interesting is Medicare Advantage plans, by and large, don't have any authorization services available on weekends unless they have special arrangements with skilled nursing facilities. So a few have gone the extra step, but the vast majority don't have that in place. So when they say they're there for you, um, they're there for you, but weekends on ho and holidays, right? Uh, if you need a tra an acute transition in care. So, so let's say you're the person that comes in on Friday afternoon, and this is exactly what happens and happens on a routine basis. There's no authorization available you're not moving to where you need to go. So that means you're either sitting in the ER or you're going to be admitted to the hospital as an observation patient for usually Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. So that's three nights until the authorization uh, happens on a, on a Monday morning and you actually get to where you need to go. And honestly, from my perspective, that is that is the biggest issue that I see with these plans is that um, way too much time for authorizations and then not authorization services when you need them. This must be when you get sick on weekends and holidays. This must be an industry wide issue. Has there been any movement to try and fix this? Yes. Yeah, so, so great question, Aaron. The, um, there's actually federal legislation that's coming out of both the house and the Senate to address the prior authorization issue. Um, last year, Bristol Health actually introduced legislation into the state legislature. Um, it was actually a pretty extensive bill. It was 81 pages long. 
Um, but it was actually focused at trying to address these transitions in care and authorizations. Um, you know, you'd be shocked to know here we are in year 2021, almost 2022, and um, insurance companies often still require us to fax information, so fax paper to them to actually get an authorization for a transition in care. So a, a movement from an ER to a skilled nursing facility. Um, and then you deal with all the issues that you deal with with faxing. Well, it was the wrong number. You didn't get, I didn't get all the pages. Um, you didn't send it to the right person. It's amazing. If you, if you step back and think about what's going on in healthcare, um, almost 10 years ago, hospitals were required to implement electronic medical records to improve the safety and the outcomes and be able to hardwire best practice for taking care of patients. When the government did that, they actually gave us enhanced reimbursement to implement those systems, very costly systems, but they ultimately started to take money away from us if you didn't do it. So not just hospitals, but physician offices, every part of healthcare, but they fell short and they didn't require insurance companies to implement uh, automated or electronic systems for authorization. These authorizations should happen on a seamlessly, seamless basis. And, um, and they just don't. And for whatever reason, it's not happening. So legislation at the federal level, the state level, all focused on trying to address this issue to make this process much easier. Great to have a Medicare Advantage plan save money. Wouldn't it be even better if the authorizations happen on a more timely basis? We all know medical billing can be crazy in terms of what the bill is and what you actually pay or the, the discounted rate for insurance companies. Is there a big difference, Medicare traditionally versus an Advantage plan in, in terms of the reimbursement for providers? So from the provider standpoint, the reimbursement is the same. The difference is all of the administrative burden of getting the authorization. So, so it's not the reimbursement per se that's different or lower, but on average, we end up seeing four to 5% less for Medicare Advantage than we do from traditional Medicare. And, and the reason for that is all of the uh, paperwork, all of the authorization requirements, I get every quarter from each plan. So if you can imagine the, the documentation on what requires a prior authorization changes quarterly, and you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of pages of authorization requirements. So what it's doing, all these, the, the process for these Medicare Advantage plans has added to the cost of healthcare substantially. And on top of that, if it, you know, it's almost like if I submit something to a Medicare Advantage plan, and, and I'll just use this for argument's sake, and, and there's a sentence in there that I didn't put a period on the end of the sentence, I get denied that payment. So the denials and then the process of fighting denials, I have to have physicians that I pay, pay to be advisors to argue for the payments. Um, that's where the cost differential comes from. That's what makes it so much less attractive for, for providers. Now, to sum this up, the Medicare open enrollment deadline is Tuesday. And if yes. you are in the process of selecting for the first time, or if you are on Medicare and want to make changes, where do you start between now and then? So if you're talking about Medicare Advantage, right? So it's it's December 7th, you have to actually pick a plan and you can do that on the 
uh, Medicare or Social Security website. And, um, and it is by December 7th. The other dates that are really critical, let's say, for example, you pick that plan. That plan doesn't go into place until January 1st. You actually have the right to uh, go back out of that plan from January 1st until February 14th. The, the, there is that process. So if you, if you make a mistake or you, you're all of a sudden you go to your primary care physician, you shouldn't have never done that because you have this condition or this, and you realize you made a mistake. The other deadlines to really be focused on for Medicare Advantage are January 1 to February 14. You can actually go and actually um, transition back to traditional Medicare during that period. Once you go past that period, you can't transition back until you select a new plan at the end of 2022. Um, and make a different election. So, so December 7th for Medicare Advantage, that is the deadline. You're going to do that on the Social Security website or the Medicare website. Uh, you sign up for them. You have to elect to sign up for a Medicare Advantage plan. And then the, the next most important dates are January 1 to February 14th, if you realize you made a mistake. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Kurt Barwis, president and CEO of Bristol Health. Speaking of important dates, Bristol Hospital is celebrating a big anniversary. Tell us about that. Just this month, December uh, 16th, we're celebrating the 100-year anniversary of of Bristol Health, Bristol Hospital. The hospital was um, created by the community. Uh, Everybody just band together and built this hospital during the Spanish flu pandemic. And so here we are 100 years later with uh, the coronavirus pandemic, and um, we're celebrating our 100-year anniversary. And, and to kind of kick that off, we're opening our new emergency care center. Um, project's been going on for over a year now uh, on December 20th uh, of this year. So um, really very, very exciting time for us. Talk a little more about the emergency care center. What is it going to offer that you can't currently offer now? So, so the new emergency care center is is absolutely state of the art, and um, and and it's much larger, and it has a distinct um, uh, closed and state of the art uh, behavioral health uh, unit as well. So, behavioral health patients um, are in one of the most um, well thought out environments, individual private rooms, um, and and away from the the rest of the population uh, of the ER. There are five uh, pediatric ER rooms in there that are designed to specifically reduce anxiety for kids. I, I happened to walk through yesterday and I saw some of the murals going up. Uh, I think maybe I, I need one of those murals for my office because they're just absolutely make you feel they make you feel warm. You know, it's it's like looking at a wall of fish where uh, one of them was space and and they're working on the other one. So um, every part of it is designed from a patient flow standpoint. Um, we, we try to get every patient into the ER, um, in under 20 minutes. So, you you know, while it has expansive waiting space, our triage process typically gets you as to a door to dock time in less than 20 minutes. And, um, so the design facilitates that flow, makes it easier for you to get to, uh, get right to the the place you need to be, to be taken care of. In Connecticut, the landscape is interesting in healthcare. There are these two giant networks, Hartford Healthcare and Yale New Haven Health, and then there are smaller ones, 
such as Bristol Health. How do you hold your own and you're approaching 100 years and you're continuing to, to make investments in your facilities? It's really about the culture of this organization. We um, very proud of that. There's, there's a tremendous amount of heart for the people that work here and commitment. Um, and that culture helps us really deliver extraordinary outcomes. And, you know, to have, we, we, we recently celebrated going more than a thousand days without a serious safety event. And at one time, something like every 3.8 days or 2.8 days, there was a serious safety event in Connecticut in a hospital. Um, you don't get those outcomes without dedicated, committed people that are really not afraid to talk to each other. So um, it's it's about that culture. We also focus on doing the right things. So what we invest in and what new services we bring, we make sure that there are core services that, that the community should expect to have here and not services that you really should be getting in a tertiary care center, like one of those big systems that you refer to. So um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's this culture of just, going and driving that goalpost every day and 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 just doing the best that we can for our community. So that's that's what I think the secret secret is here. Bring us up to date on the coronavirus. You were very open with your diagnosis earlier in the pandemic. How are are things going now as we have now seen the the Omicron variant here in the United States? What are you you telling people what should they do? So first of all, first and foremost, get vaccinated and get the booster. I think, um, you know, I've, I've now had the booster um, and and I, I feel very strongly that when I talk to people who have breakthrough infections or somebody that's been vaccinated that ends up getting the coronavirus uh, despite the vaccine, it's a very short episode of, of care. Um, and, and even with the case that I think that happened in California, I read that they were following that individual who had been vaccinated and, and was having mild symptoms. So I think that's a, that's a really positive, positive sign uh, for, the, for the new mutation that's in the United States. Um, but getting vaccinated, I think, is the most important thing. The other thing is understand that when you come to a healthcare facility, if you do get the coronavirus and you are sick, hospitals have been dealing with this for a long time now. And there's a tremendous amount of opportunity um, if you are unfortunately in a bad situation with how you fall ill with it um, to help correct that or improve the outcome. So monoclonal therapies and all those things, we have all those things available here and we use them. And I think that the entire healthcare industry is, is very much attuned to how to treat COVID patients, how to immediately recognize, um, go through the testing process and, and, and what exactly to do. Um, you know, after all this time, it's, it's amazing. The healthcare heroes are just absolutely attuned to taking care of these patients. So you talk about healthcare heroes and we hear about these nationwide shortages of workers in virtually every field. Is that something that has affected Bristol Health? Yes, um, it, it, it's hard to, 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 for anybody to say it's not affecting them. I think that we're, we're in a, a pretty good situation because we, we have um, a designation with nursing for magnet status, um, which means that um, we have, we're magnet for nurses. And um, it has a whole bunch of other implications. The, um, the key, though, is that, and from my perspective, is 
when you look at how everyone's competing for staff, um, you know, and, and staff is short, as you said, across this country, I, I feel like Connecticut is in, uh, is, is in a unique situation. I actually co-chair a workforce group for the Connecticut Hospital Association. And I feel like if we, if we really kind of focus on the pipeline, the supply, uh, using some of the resources that we have, the new resources we have in the state to really go after the workforce that we need, develop that workforce, retain that workforce, create programs that encourage individuals to come into this environment, um, in these environments, and um, and support them and help them with their education costs. I think as you know, Connecticut be, can be an absolute leader in this country. Speaking of the healthcare environment in Connecticut, and I know in Connecticut we have a tendency to want to complain about things, but in terms of being able to find care, is it accurate to say we're in a much better place than? say, some more rural areas where there might be one hospital within 50 or 75 miles? I personally think it's uh, it's fair to say that, um, you know, that's a choice. I came from a semi-rural environment um, where you might have one of something. Uh, it's a choice that individuals make to live in those kind of environments. I am, I am incredibly proud of the healthcare system in Connecticut because I think that um, that we have a great dispersion of providers of, of physicians and services, um, but it but it is absolutely um, a concern for some people. You you can go and and live in an environment that's very rural because you love it because it's part of you, um, but then all of a sudden something happens and you know response times aren't the same. It takes you longer to travel to a hospital, um, and time is everything when you have a serious uh, event. And that's especially the case on nights and weekends, as we talked about earlier. Well, you would think for a, for insurance companies that are making billions of dollars, um, and and we all know how much they're spending on these ads. Like you can't you can't turn on a TV at any time of day right now without seeing a Medicare Advantage ad. And you think to yourself, surely they could um, they could improve their authorization services on weekends. And to me, 17, 14 to seventeen days is just absolutely too long. Uh, let's 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 stop with the fax machines. Let's get it to um, the technology of uh, that we have that's available and make it work. Right. Speaking of insurance companies, I know there have been situations where providers and insurance companies are in negotiations to come up with a new schedule of of fees and reimbursements, and they aren't seeing eye to eye. And patients get a letter saying. Your provider is no longer going to be in network come this date. Is that still something that that's happening? Yeah, and but but in Connecticut, there's actually a state law about how you go through that process. So, um, and I, I believe that those those laws were passed maybe two or three years ago. Uh, so it is regulated, um, but it can still and does happen. Um, we we do everything we can to avoid that. Uh, typically, you're you're filing for an extensions. As long as you have some reasonable basis um, to have a conversation that you think is going to conclude in a positive way, uh, but yes, it it does still happen. I think it's going to be particularly hard, right? Um, in this next twenty four months, you, you can see inflation is is um, is really on the rise. Medical inflation, especially on the rise, and so 
typically you're signing contracts for two to three years. And if you're signing contracts right now, um, you're signing them based on uh, historical inflation rates and you're looking at inflation rates that are soaring. So you you can naturally assume that um, in this next 24 or 36 months, it's going to be even harder to negotiate those contracts because insurance companies are going to want to base it on historical inflation, whereas we're all paying wages and salaries and benefits and other costs that have gone through the roof. Um, and so how do you sign on to a contract that's historical when you're looking forward and saying, I can't make this work, you know, uh, for the next two to three years, because my, my starting point is so much higher. I, I, hopefully that makes sense, but yes, it's going to get more complicated. I think he is Kurt Barwis, president and CEO of Bristol health. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Aaron, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.